Hello, and again, welcome to BitDepth. I'm Santiago Ramones. Across from me is... Chris Lashley. Hello, it's nice to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, it's been like, I have a list of people that I want on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I should uh, probably start booking some people for the podcast soon. Because uh, <laughs> it's like, I, I'll like record a whole bunch. And then as that backlog like starts catching up to me, it's like, oh, shit, I got to like get more of these now. Uh, I scrolled down my list and I was like, hmm, maybe. Uh, yeah, Scroll down your list and you say, there's Johnny. I did to him. Oh, hey, there's another one of those <laughs> bastards. No, it was like, <laughs> oh, nice. But <laughs> uh, but I was like, oh, Chris. Hell yeah, Chris. So I was like excited. We had a lot of nice intellectual conversations when we went to school together at the ACM too. Because yeah. we were both, we were in the same year for production, right? I think so. We were in Dustin Ragland's class together. Yeah, Advanced Ableton. Man, that was, that class was so eye-opening. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't know anything until I was in that class. <laughs> and I mean, coming from Dustin, uh, who's like mad genius brain, Ableton is, extraordinary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, like, some of that wisdom has trickled its way down into some of his students. And so, you know, we're still doing cool electronic stuff. So <laughs> take a, take ten percent of Dustin's wisdom, and you can spin a magical web with it. <laughs> Oh, yeah. No. And, uh, you know, he's leaving to Atlanta. Oh, really? I'm so sad. Yeah. Oh, well, shoot. So he's he's like the reason why Monome is such a big part of my music music right now. Yeah. Because uh, when we were in that class together, everybody had, you know, a, a push or a launch pad. Mm-hmm. And then I show up in this class <laughs> with this like walnut box. Yeah. And this this Monome 64 and it doesn't speak MIDI. And Dustin put in the time and effort to help me make the thing work and made this little instrument work for me. And he didn't – I don't think that he knew uh, of Mono much before that. And he suddenly got his hands on one. He almost immediately understood it, stood it, <laughs> and helped me understand it, yeah. like, fully. And so now he has a mono. He got one a couple years after wow. that. He has a, a mono 128, and he, like, writes his own Max for Live stuff and does his own compositions and is totally blowing me out of the water with what he can do. <laughs> but I really yeah. need to – we need to have a mono meetup, and he and I need to sit down with his 128 and my 64 sometime and have oh, a little jam, hopefully before he leaves. Yeah. This just became the, like, we love Dustin hour, but yeah. (laughs) He's a a sweet guy. He does a lot for the community. Yeah, he really does. Chris, who are you? What do you do? All right, me. Uh, (laughs) I'm Chris Lashley. I'm a producer. I'm a guitarist, first and foremost, for Johnny Manchild and the Poor Bastards. Uh, I sing backgrounds for them, too. Uh, For a long time, for for years, I did just acoustic singer-songwriter stuff. Uh, I did work with uh, Jason Scott, and we had a little trio with Jason Scott, Mallory Eagle, and I did the dull sets. Linka was in that for just a little bit too. Uh, so did did right did the did the acoustic uh, acoustic set thing for a while, and uh, now I'm looking at electronic music. I really like lo-fi hip hop these days i think a lot of people are going to start producing that right now but i'm doing it in just kind of my own way so it makes me happy it's very uh, cathartic to to make a relaxing beat and afterward you're like yeah i'm satisfied and i'm relaxed yes (laughs) yeah and i mean one pattern that i've seen through a lot of musicians is that there's like the stuff that other people want you to do and then there's the stuff that like you really enjoy doing and that's where like you really actually see the person shine with like yeah i mean i like this stuff but like this is what i'm really here for and it's like oh wow you're making really cool stuff now it's like really because this is just what i wanted to do and i feel like that's and and all of the music that all of the projects that i've been in is i always felt like oh i just really want to do this when i was with the dull sets and doing acoustic stuff i really wanted to do that when i was in them hounds and doing blues rock stuff i really wanted to do that and now i'm in uh johnny manchild i just have bad add i just really want to do a lot of music stuff <laughs> that's not a bad thing <laughs> so but i i got to focus on some things so I'm, right now i'm focusing on the lo-fi hip hop stuff and johnny manchild stuff yeah I haven't been playing much acoustic lately. Cool. Well, uh, let's just start with the basic basics. How did you first get started in music? I started singing Oh Christmas Tree in the back of my parents' car before I could talk. So I didn't, I couldn't sing the words, but it was like, ah, da, da, ba, 
My mom was like, that's, is that the song we were just singing? Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I've been singing since before I could talk. Uh, I've had a little music studio since, you know, I, I could afford one right after a video game console. It was a little mixing desk and I started recording stuff on some software called like Mixcraft. So as soon as I could start producing with a computer and I understood how to do that when I was 10, 10 or 12, started recording stuff in my friends' houses and finding other musicians and recording them because, you know, you can't, it's hard to record yourself yeah. and play the thing at the same time when you're 11. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that's a, a very interesting path because I feel like whenever you first give a child an instrument, it's just like instrument, play it. But this other layer of also recording it and making it sound at all. That's that's something else. What did that, I guess, do for you? <laughs> that the first time that happened, I picked up a guitar for the first time uh, when uh, Jack Black came out with School of Rock mm -hmm. and that fantastic moment when they're teaching each other how to he's teaching them how to play Smoke on the Water. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I could totally do that. So I picked up my guitar and I totally did that. Yeah. And I'm like, check this out. I, I wasn't at my parents house. I was at my friend's house. And so he had like a crummy tape recorder. We recorded it. Yeah. Boom. Showed my parents. And they're like, awesome. You're getting an electric guitar. Because they really wanted me to learn piano because of the ADHD and the stuff and all that <laughs> stuff. They really needed me to have an outlet. So they were really excited to get me an instrument. Yeah. <laughs> so is guitar your primary guitar, instrument? Guitar is definitely my primary instrument. I'm not, I'm not too useful on keyboards. I understand. Uh, I understand what's going on. I can play a little piano if I need to. I know, I know my my basics, but it's not something that I could write a song on. Yeah. Okay. Well, but, but <laughs> guitar, about, I can. Bass. bass? I, I can do a little bass. I can do bass. Bass definitely translate with guitar. I can play some ukulele because I worked at Guitar Center and uh, you can lean up against a wall and play the ukulele in the acoustic room at Guitar Center <laughs> as an employee. <clears throat> so you learn like ukulele at Guitar Center. And uh, what else? There was a dulcimer hanging up at the wall at Guitar Center, a banjo. So I, you can, I can pick up a string instrument and play it, but yeah. I, I can't really look at a keyboard and play it. Yeah. I finger drum. <laughs> I can drum with my fingers. Oh, yeah. I can't. I can't drum. I can't drum with sticks so good though. <laughs> uh, I guess you said instrument with strings, bows, anything. Mm, fretless stuff. I'm not as good at. So violins. You don't want to hear me play a violin. Uh, I can. I can play an upright bass, but it's not going to be very pretty. <laughs> That's a lot of movement. That's a. It, it is. It's. It's a lot of instrument. <laughs> bass, upright bass players, they're buff, man. That's a lot of arm movement. I get sore. And they have to carry the thing around, oh, too. no kidding. <laughs> Except for we, what we were talking about earlier is the yeah. little micro bass. Uh, what we were talking about offset earlier <laughs> is that I'm, I'm going to have a micro bass come in, which is a little short scale, like ukulele style bass, and it's fretless. And it has these giant tubular strings, and it somehow sounds like an upright bass, even though it's like a quarter of the size. Yeah. We'll see like 400 lo-fi beats with that bass thing and bass lele. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so after your parents give you a guitar, what was your trajectory? Was it uh, the music of your time, or was it all the stuff that you had in lessons? Were you taking lessons? I I didn't take very many lessons. I took. One official lesson that was paid for, of course, by my parents. Mm -hmm. And the, I, I'm not very good at reading tab. I'm not very good. At, I can read music pretty well uh, and sight sing very well, mm -hmm. but I can't read music and translate to the guitar very well. Uh, um, but I totally lost track of the question. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Uh, first guitar lesson. Sorry. First yeah. guitar lesson. Uh, uh, I went to this poor guitar teacher's house and he started going through the chord shapes with me and I caught onto the chord shapes pretty easily. Next lesson, bar chords. And then he was like, yeah, bar chords, scales. You can do scales and bar chords already. You've just learned your chord shapes. I picked that all up very quickly. The rudimentary stuff, no problem. But putting stuff together myself, I had a really hard time learning how to write. Mm -hmm. on the guitar and I had a really hard time learning how to sing and play at the same time on guitar oh, yeah. that took me like 
I don't know why that took me like three years. And sometimes still I'll have trouble with, uh, certain rhythms singing and playing on guitar. After the, after the second guitar lesson with that poor guitar teacher, he gave me a Beatles songbook nice. that had tab and chords written out. And then it had pictures of your, of the hands. Wow. Like, yeah. And it was a big, thick manifesto of Beatles songs. Mm -hmm. Uh, he never saw me again. <laughs> I had I had what I needed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you could just like learn every Beatles song and get what you need to like. I learned how guitar. to. I learned how to finger pick just by you know uh, doing uh, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds onto Blackbird, and then I'm like, I can do two different finger picking patterns. All right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I guess what was the music that you were listening to influenced by maybe even your parents or that was your foundation definitely more classic rock uh my mom spoon fed me credence clearwater revival and three dog night my dad prince and carlos santana um and then i don't know i loved just like 70s hippie rock. I, I got a Volkswagen bus as soon as I could. <laughs> yeah, it, you were raised for guitar. <laughs> kind of was, a little bit. They were My parents' parents were very supportive of my musical career. I was very blessed to have them. So then where is your music? At what point, like, you know, there's the music that your parents listen to and then, you, you know, yeah, you're a kid and you just listen to that. But then there's a point where, like, there's your music, and then that's the stuff that makes them angry. So what were you listening to? <laughs> I was a 13, 14-year-old kid writing about heartbreak immediately. My first my first song was called The Fall, and it was about the first time I ever got broke up with. And it was, it was I was doubting God in that song. Beautiful. <laughs> I, uh, I was uh, very naive, uh, but it's it's it didn't. I mean, it's not a bad song, so. Yeah, there you go. Do you still know it? I Oh, I still know it. I play it right now. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> Is that allowed? An exclusive. Yeah, yeah. It might not sound great because it's, you know, dynamic mic. I'll just do a little bit. Oh, the pedestal it falls. Oh, the love I treasured in all my life and heart are gone. It's it's like real emo. That's that's <laughs> really good. Like it's that still holds up as far as you know. If if like, oh let, let me hear like a original emo song. It's like yep, there it is. There he is. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So what were you listening to? What made you write that? And Ooh, you know the that's actually great. At the time, I was listening to like Pretty Odd by uh, yeah oh my gosh panic at the disco thank you thank you panic at the disco. i almost <laughs> blanked on their name yeah i was listening to pretty odd by panic at the disco at the time and um uh sadie hawkins dance who did that one i'm blanking on that but you actually mentioned death cab earlier was were you into death cab I, then i was about to be introduced to death cab there you about, go about two about a year after that song i was introduced to death cab for cutie and then the emo just took right off yeah. and there was no controlling the emo phase <laughs> uh but i was also in football at the time so actually there was controlling the email phase because otherwise i got beaten up <laughs> <laughs> yeah <clears throat> um so yeah well keep going what are the the guilty pleasures or maybe not so guilty anymore just because we can listen to what we want now oh man <laughs> death cab's not not quite as emo as it used to be are they oh, they're, yeah. they're a lot more they're a lot more polished now i still enjoy them mm -hmm. but I, I i listen to the old stuff when i'm feeling moody yeah um that's my real big dude company calls epilogue now. is like i performed that at a talent show nice. like that's yeah <laughs> that's awesome uh the i was saying i know a couple piano songs uh what is it passenger seat that's like a very easy piano song for yeah. for Death Cab, and that's like the song I can play on piano. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say what Sarah said, which is like an extremely sad song. But like, yeah, that one was a little bit too sad for the uh, for the talent show that I played my Death Cab for Scooty song at because I also played a Death Cab for Cutie song at a talent show, just that one on piano, and I will never play piano in public again. <laughs> <laughs> I had to stop and that's the only time ever performing where I had to full on restart the song because I 
I realized that I didn't know the piano well enough to start in the middle of the song. I, I lost where I was with my fingering. <laughs> and so I just had to start over. Listen, you guys are going to put up with me. This is an open mic night. <laughs> and they still clapped. Yeah. Open what was nights. your first performance? Well, whenever uh, there was this – when Twister came out, that movie. Yeah. I don't, I'm not sure when that was. I wasn't very old, but – uh, the power went out, ironically, in the movie theater for about 20, 30 minutes before the movie was going to start. And everybody already paid for their ticket. And they just came in and were like, hey, we'll get the power back on in a second. Please remain in your seats. And I decided it was dance contest time. And I went up and I performed for those people in the theater. There was – so they put a flashlight on me and I was, I was grooving for a solid 20 minutes of singing and dancing. Just me in front of a whole movie theater about to watch Twister. That's amazing. <laughs> I don't know how old I was for that, but my mom tells that story. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> my first uh, actual musical performance, though, um, I've done a, a lot of musical performances. I probably just go ahead and go back to First Presbyterian Church of Edmond uh, when I first started playing in a real band, mm. uh, the church band. Yeah, yeah. And... I was the cool – I felt so cool because I was the guitarist in a in a Christian rock band. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I played at First Presbyterian Church of Edmond for three years in the youth band. Yeah. And that's that's where I got a lot of my – like how does a rehearsal work? You know, how do you, how do you get through a rehearsal with 15, 14-year-olds? <laughs> <clears throat> and, that, and that's pretty much commanding any rehearsal with any musicians is how do you command 15, 14 <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen Rock 101 at School of Rock, but uh, – A little bit? Yeah, it is – much more difficult. <laughs> I, I've caught I caught some some of Johnny at the School of Rock doing his thing yeah. when he was there. Yeah, no, I, I had to do that, and that's that's a very specific kind of torture. <laughs> I feel like you could uh, just just certain times whenever the children are first doing stuff at the School of Rock, you could like do psychological torture with some of the things that are born from that moment yeah. of of kids getting to an instrument for the first time. And that's why parents are amazing and supportive for them, for supporting their yeah, musicians. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, there should be like a, a bottom limit for drums of an age. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like, absolutely. You have to be at least this old to sit in a drum throne. You, you cannot otherwise because, yeah, there, some kids should not. I mean, but then you see these – kids on youtube that are so young and they're just so so good definitely better than me on the drums and he's how old is he six six <laughs> <laughs> right well i don't know but at least i don't want to have to be the one to teach them okay <laughs> um they all sounded bad at some point yeah every musician sounded bad at one point in their life that's true yeah <laughs> Were you ever in a screamo band in like middle school? I was very into a screamo band. Uh, what was? This? Oh gosh, I'm so bad at remembering names of stuff, man. Isn't that the worst for this podcast? Uh, I was uh, very Presbyterian until I was about seventeen. Yeah, and then I started disappointing my mother. Um, we will <laughs> get into that. So, uh, so. I was into this screamo brand, screamo band called Showbread. Wow. And they were um, hilarious dudes. And they happened to come to what is now the 89th Street Collective. Yeah. Uh, what was that place you said? The Conservatory. The Conservatory. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Uh, so back when it was the Conservatory, they were the first band I ever saw that put a projector on them as their light show. And they all lined up in a line at the front of the stage. And they didn't really have like a lot of room, not a lot of depth on the stage. So the it was just projector and them and they were going they were rocking so hard the projector screens like moving and they have like no room in the front of the stage and uh oh man they screamed really hard and they had a keytar player who danced like so hard like no performer i've ever seen dance and it was screamo music but he was shaking his hips like violently hard with that keytar and i was just tickled by it they were just my favorite <laughs> that that sounds like a great show I've still, you know, maybe there was still some probably like predatory on 16 year olds. I mean, emo bands, screamo bands at the time, there was a lot of that. So, 
Maybe not that. I, I don't. I don't, think, I don't know this band. But I don't yeah. think the guitar stayed in the band. I don't right. know what happened. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> um, moving forward, at what point did you decide if it was a decision that like music is what your life is now that you adult? <laughs> it's never. Music was not ever something that wasn't because I was always singing. Even my my grandparents were in their church choir, and they would always sing with me. We would, we would always be singing Christian uh, rock songs or hymns or Creedence Clearwater Revival or Three Dog Night around my house. Always singing, all the time. Very annoying, I'm sure. Um, and then as soon as I got a I got a guitar, I just never put it down. I slept with it. I slept with my guitar all the time, especially while I was learning it, because I put it down and I don't know why if you do something as you're falling asleep it just sticks in your memory mm-hmm. you know so I would I would practice scales until I fell asleep yeah there's there's actually a thing where there's like a point where you're almost asleep it's kind of a a, a phase of hypnosis where like good ideas happen and so that part of your sleep uh, you can like get yourself there and have like cooler ideas. Very That's something that like the golden hour of your mind. Yeah, yeah. That's really. Interesting. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't actually know that. I yeah, guess. I had a hypnosis guy on the podcast. Oh, you had a hypnosis yeah, guy. Yeah. <laughs> Did you get hypnotized? <laughs> no, I. I try not to ask people to like do their job. Fair enough. At me whenever. <laughs> it's like, oh, you're a therapist. Don't you therapy me like for free. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're a guitarist? Yeah, name 10. <laughs> Guitars or guitarists? Either. Name 10. <laughs> but yeah, I guess like when you're leaving high school and you have to like decide on the thing, like for some reason we make 18-year-olds have a decision that will affect the rest of their life. That's a weird thing that we do as a society. But like, you know, was were you just automatically like, yeah, music, do it? Uh, well, I was already doing it. So yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, and you know, I went and got a job at Hideaway Pizza, sure. uh, to, you know, help pay for the Volkswagen bus that was, you know, eating up my parents' garage space and a little bit of their money because restoring an old car is kind of expensive. Yeah. But as soon as, uh, as soon as I could in high school, we were doing the battle of bands for Edmond North high school, yeah. which the first year that we did it, we won with that the fall song yeah, yeah that's what we got we if you win the battle of the bands you get to go record uh i think it was with rk1 studios at the time okay. and uh so we got to go make a little single at rk1 studios and we recorded that song does that exist on the internet somewhere mm, no it doesn't <laughs> it should uh it does exist still on multiple people's computers yeah but it it existed on myspace and, and and now it does not <laughs> Back in the MySpace days, that was actually before Facebook. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, was, it was a good time. Kind of a terrible time, but it was a good time nostalgia vision-wise. Good time, not a long time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's fun to think about MySpace designing. Yeah. Dude, so I guess what are all of the, I guess, projects that you've been involved in since then musically? Well, after I uh, after I left high school, I got accepted to a school in New Mexico, Santa Fe University of Art and Design. And while I was there, I was in it, at least six projects. Like I was in a I was in a funk band. I was in a folk band with a female lead singer. I did like a lead thing where I was the lead of like a three piece band. I uh, did a gypsy jazz acoustic thing, and then I was doing like production there at the same time. I was just, I was going crazy while I was in Santa Fe. My grades totally suffered because because of it. And of course I was out drinking at night too in Santa Fe, New Mexico, being away from my friends and family for the first time. Uh, Suddenly not a church boy (laughs) anymore going off to, to New Mexico and people were like, you're underage. Here's some alcohol. I would never underage drink. I would never do that. But my grades did suffer. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, that's like, that's kind of what college is for. Not the drinking, but like the branching do, out. Yeah, branching doing out like crazy. every single project that you can. Right. Yeah, and and it really <laughs> uh, it really honed in what I wanted to do with my skill set and where I be- where I really belong with my skill set because I was playing bass in a funk band and I couldn't hang. I was playing bass in a jazz band and I couldn't really hang. 
I could play guitar in either of those bands and I could kind of hang, but I don't know. It's just something, something about bass ended up not agreeing with me. I gave it, I gave it a genuine shot and I felt a skill gap. Yeah. Between, between that and guitar funk, for some reason. Funk is about the limit to where like if you if you pass funk on bass, on bass like yeah. you got it. <laughs> definitely. It's definitely the final boss. <laughs> and then you can and then you can play Wooten. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or or Wooten will face you down <laughs> himself. <laughs> he will give you the okay. He'll give you a phone call. <laughs> no, he actually seems like he's an extremely nice guy, so <laughs> What brought you back to Oklahoma? That's a good story and a bad story. <laughs> um, so my grades weren't doing so hot. I had this awesome VW bus out in New Mexico, feeling really cool and a bunch of projects. And then uh, life hit really, really hard, really, really fast. First, at my parents' house, the hot water heater on my half of the house where I still had quite a bit of studio stuff, it just exploded and flooded everywhere. That was a really big expense that my parents weren't uh, accounting for. And then there were these expenses that my parents uh, were accounting for, like my father needed a double knee replacement. And then at the same exact time, these th three things happened at this on December, in December, whenever I came home for Christmas. Uh, my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer and just all three of those things just hit like a truck and uh, it's like, okay, well, I need to focus up and do better for my parents because they're kind of disappointed in, in the way I've handled my schooling. So I should, I should focus up. I moved home. Uh, I started going to UCO and just like knocking out credits. Mm -hmm. I got a job at Guitar Center, started help paying the bills. Uh, so now I'm back in Oklahoma, going to Guitar Center. Finances are looking kind of crummy. Health of my parents is looking kind of crummy. I sell my Volkswagen bus, help pay all the help pay the bills and keep everybody afloat. We're looking we're looking good now. Um, working at Guitar Center. Uh, now my wife, uh, my now wife has has moved in and is helping with my family and stuff too. Um, and we actually get to be together because we were apart when we were in when I was in New Mexico and we were just doing like Skyping all the time. Yeah. So we're all moved together in the same house again. I'm going to UCO. Things are going pretty well at Guitar Center. I've sold my bus, which I I just miss so dearly. It's it was it was a big part of my life. Yeah, and I really I really hope to have it again at some point. Um, I sold it to someone who said that they would sell it back to me. Hopefully they do. <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't sell that bus back. It's a cool car. Yeah. So all that's happened. Um, and while I'm at Guitar Center, I meet my my friend uh, PJ, Philip Eller. He was uh, the guitarist for Them Hounds. Hmm. And we ended up working together and becoming really good buds. And we uh, I joined that band with him and things started to kind of normalize again. Mm -hmm. And my dad's all, all fixed up from his knee replacement. He's feeling good. He's got fresh knees. Um, my mom is going through chemotherapy at this time, but it's looking pretty good. She's a very positive and very strong middle school teacher who is uh, just genuinely inspiring. Uh, my mom is amazing, and I owe her everything. Yeah, I'm very proud of her for beating breast cancer. So. My mom had breast cancer as really? well. Really? So. Yeah, I know that's, that's rough, that's right? Long. Yeah, <laughs> chemotherapy is um, torture. Yeah, and moms still fucking power through and still mom all the time. Like they hadn't gone through enough, and then they had to go through that too, yeah. and they still powered through. It's yeah. just amazing. Yeah, so I'm there with you. <laughs> haven't haven't written the song about that yet. I'm. It's just. Too many emotions on that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there's a song there. <laughs> so I guess after that, where I guess I'm trying to lead to like ACM. Where did. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. So so <laughs> this is that exact moment. Yeah, yeah. Is uh, my, uh, my mom is on the up and up. Things are looking pretty good. Uh, and she's now doing lighter chemotherapy regimen. And I've finished uh, one year of just doing credits uh, through UCO, and I did credits uh, in the summer as well. So I'm like 
I had to make up for all of my schooling. Nothing from New Mexico transferred over. So I had to, I did classes every summer. Uh, After the first year, I got accepted to the ACM at UCO. And uh, that was while I was doing Them Hounds stuff too. So music's back in full swing now. Uh, The ACM was so cool, such a blessing. There were resources at the school that I went to in New Mexico, but not like at the ACM. (laughs) Like the ACM, every computer you go on has Pro Tools and you're like, whoa, I can work anywhere. (laughs) And that was a really cool, really cool realization versus I could either work at the computer lab or in the big studio at, at, at the other school that I was going to. So having those tools at your disposal, oh my gosh, everyone, all the producers at the ACM, just get get on your phone and book time in your studio right now. Yeah. <laughs> I like, I use the studio like decently. Mm-hmm. I I still feel like I didn't use it enough. Enough, right. Yeah. It, Cause it's like, yes, I got my schoolwork done. I finished my school projects. I maybe did like one or two of the recordings I wanted to do outside of that, but I really should have made a whole album yeah. with the gear I had at my disposal with there. It was just silly for me not to have done that. <laughs> and like, you'll make an album as a project maybe, or an EP as a project, but it's different than sitting down with the gear, scheduling out your studio time and actually doing what you want to do with the studio yeah. with, without thinking about what you need to do yeah. and just kind of to do it and and the equipment too is right of course this is freaking and i don't know like a hundred thousand dollars worth of equipment in a single room that you can just book for free yes yeah and i mean uh now they have like the Mm 5.1 surround sound studio too which they didn't have when you and i were there or they had they were finishing they were finishing it when you and i were there (laughs) which was cool so we got to learn how to set that stuff up because they were Mm -hmm. setting it up but I mean, I would really like to work in a real 5.1 studio anytime I want. ACM sounds good again. <laughs> You're good. You're good. You don't need it right now. <laughs> we really just don't need the debt. That's that's really the yeah. <laughs> no kidding. Um, yeah. So you went for production, not yes. performance. I went for production, not performance. Which on paper, my degree says uh, uh, bachelor's in applied science. Yeah. yeah. Which sounds pretty professional. <laughs> my resume, I just say contemporary music production. I do too. I, just, I have a, I have my professional resume, which says bachelor's in applied science. And then I have my music resume, which says contemporary audio production. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I put music production on there because like that's what it was. There was like some just audio stuff, but it was mostly music. Yeah. Were you, did you end up doing Rob Derrick's yeah, sound yeah. design class? That class had some amazing gems in it. Mm-hmm. Like he has this template mm-hmm. that if oh, you take yeah. the class, you have to learn how to lay out your sound design template. And if you use that template, you're set up for success. Yeah. And that alone is just an interesting idea that just a template alone really sets you up for sound designing correctly yeah. because the way the template is laid out, it'd be kind of, there's only certain ways that the mixing can be done Mm -hmm. and it tends to lead you to the correct answer. It's really, really nice. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, ACM is a theme obviously that keeps coming up on the podcast, but it's like, you know, the, it's a valuable resource. I think even for people that like don't go there, but have just been like associated with people that are at ACM, like already get the benefits from that as well. So it's like, no matter what, like either go to ACM or find someone who does go to ACM and like, because the resources available yeah. to you are, are just valuable <laughs> and they're not necessarily um, exclusive. You, you can, you can find your, find your way to properly, uh, you know, Utilizing those resources at the ACM, even yeah. even if you don't necessarily go there. I want to ask you more music questions, but I want to get to the deep questions because I feel like there's a lot there. So, like, we'll talk more about the music questions on the next podcast. Sure. But deep questions, this is what makes bit depth a bit depth. What is the role of spirituality or religion in your life? Well, I grew up Presbyterian, and I was told that that was the right way. And I was very spiritual. I prayed daily. I, I tend, one of the things I used to do was I pray to God whenever a ambulance drove by and I would always pray for their life. And I thought, you know, that's how you be thoughtful. 
and that's how you be a good person is you you pray you talk to god it was very christian very one straight road type of uh type of mentality from me growing up as a christian and all the way through high school too and i really wore my christianity on my sleeve and was trying to bring people to my church and take people to you know camp and go to go to christian sleepaway camp with me and go to canacook mm-hmm. that that sort of stuff and i was very active until I was about 16 or 17, and then I was able to drive my car on my own and decide where I wanted to go to church. And then I started looking at other people's churches, and I'm like, well, they teach this part different. And then that sort of opened up the door to – there's a lot of different religions that have a lot of different very valuable things to say that aren't incorrect about life and have very valuable life lessons to teach us that you can't find from just one religion. And there are a lot of Things in religions like the cataclysmic flood that is shared in a lot of religions. So they're clearly all right, right? Those religions all have that in common. It must be it must have happened. <laughs> or at least it it would lend itself you could lend yourself to believe, well, if it says in these three religions that this great flood happened, then maybe there was a great flood. So I started having my mind open to the possibility of other religions, not just um uh, being accepted by me as a Christian, but also uh, they're not wrong in their own right. You should you should uh, not just accept them, but understand that they're not wrong yeah. and you're not right, mm-hmm. but that there is. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're not wrong. You're not right. There is this spirituality that people believe in. And finding my place with spirituality after that became so much more vague because – at that point, I stopped kind of praying to God, and I started just thinking a lot more about spirituality as a whole. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there, I, I stopped thinking that there is an omni- omnipotent being that is listening to me mm-hmm. and started thinking more just globally, like maybe there is a force that set this all in motion, mm-hmm. you know, trying to rationalize my scientific mind and my spiritual mind. Uh, This is probably, I'm probably like 18 right about now, Mm. trying to rationalize all this stuff. I got started looking into religion, religions specifically that accept all religions. Like I think Baha'i was a religion I looked at and um, Unitarianism. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those two like really are just accepting religions. Neither, neither of them ended up being for me. Um, I don't know. I'm just a weird kind of agnostic that thinks that there could be a greater power, but it's not a person or a dude or, you know, they don't have like a direct influence. Yeah. And I don't think that there's a if, – if there's something shaping our universe, it's uh, it's very gradual. It's a very it's – it's a nudging force. It's not um, making decisions for us. Yeah. <laughs> That's where spirituality is in my life. It's pretty, it's pretty vague. I, I usually keep it. I keep spirituality off, off to the side. <laughs> I um, I take a Rick and Morty approach to, uh, spirituality. Oh God! Oh God! Please save me, God! Oh God! Yes, I did it, God! F you, God! Oh, I'm the mess. I'm the. I'm amazing. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> I, it's. But it's also both true. I I eat I eat up spirituality when it's convenient for me. And then I kind of look at myself in disgust <laughs> in my in my mind's eye for for uh, I don't know I don't know I can I I, I I I eat up spirituality when it's convenient for me in a nice convenient package that makes sense for my rationalized mind but I don't I don't believe like I used to believe sure making it even tough for you <laughs> what is your definition of God? Hmm, I didn't answer it. <laughs> he's not he's not a person. He's not a being. He could be a force. But I don't think he has as much he does he I say he. He could be a force. He <laughs> or she, she could be a force. Or it, or they the. the force is with me. 
I'd, I'd say if anything, if God is anything to me, it's some sort of force that has shaped the universe the way it is, the Big Bang, um, how life spawned from a puddle on Earth. I don't know. Not not necessarily a guiding force, more like a spark yeah. that just happens. And it's... I hate the way I sound right now. No, but I mean, these, <laughs> like, the... Yes, I'm asking you to describe the indescribable. Right. But, I mean, I just, I, um, when I start talking about, like, deep spiritual stuff like this, I get straight up nervous. I think of the times where I was talking about this to my mother or I was talking about this to my grandma. And you see that look of disappointment on your face when you're like, I don't know if I'm a Christian. And they're like, you're going to hell. I'm like, I don't think there's a hell. And they're like, you're definitely going to hell. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, I'll pray for you. And I just, when I start thinking about these things, I think about how my parents are praying for me and how I don't think they're talking to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> it all gets very frustrating and I get in my head and I don't, no. I don't, and I don't deliver clearly. You're fine. But like, this is, the point is never to like answer the question. Right. The point is to get somewhere what's what sucks is in my philosophy classes at uco mm -hmm. i really felt like i answered some questions and i got somewhere you know of course and then the way philosophy works you look back on it and you're like you didn't answer those questions you didn't get anywhere but <laughs> but it's like i feel like i've been here i feel like i had the right answers and they're in there yeah. so so maybe we'll get some decent ones <laughs> what is free will free will um this is one you can grab from phil from philosophy classes. I, all I feel like grabbing is the seed metaphor from the Bible, which like, what is it? The seed, one side was light, one side was dark and planted the seed. And the metaphor is like the soul of humanity. And now we all have that sort of embedded in each of our beings. That's a later question. <laughs> oh, it is. Um, what is free will? I feel like free will kind of goes back to like, what is God? And like, passion and that spark, that thing that created the Big Bang, the spark that made, you know, multicellular organisms from a pool, the spark that hits your mind and you feel like you've just been blessed with the best musical idea, that little God spark, mm -hmm. just a force. Yeah. <laughs> Did I say force enough? <laughs> that, that's free will, free will and God, I feel like kind of go really hand in hand. Yeah. What do you think happens when we die? As an easy one. I think we're pretty much done when we die. Yeah. I think this is my life. I better live it up because it's the one I get. And when I die, I think it's probably over. So yeah. I better be really happy with what I did here. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so into recording things and making things permanent. Mm -hmm. yeah. I feel like that's with a lot of producers as well. We really want to make a lasting impression. We want this to be there after we're done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for those of you listening back at the archive that is bit depth from however many years in the future. Shout out to 20 <laughs> to 2078, uh, Chris. Yeah. Gonna be real old. Shout out to like the aliens that are dis discovered some Internet hard drive that somehow figured out how to play audio files and have it transmit to their like ear holes and now you're understanding the shout out in english so that shout out yeah. to you aliens it was it took a lot of work to get to this point so it's like you know we really gotta acknowledge the fact that they they really work they put it to, they put in the yeah, work yeah. for sure they, they got that <laughs> shout out they deserve it if i knew your name i'd directly shout you out but go for you you go alien <laughs> how do you determine what good behavior is how do I determine what good behavior is? I feel like there's a lot more gray area in good good and bad behavior than what people give it credit for because uh, you could see something as doing good, but it actually has a lot of gray area and there's a lot of bad happening because of that. Or the butterfly effect. You do something that you think is just wholly good and then oh, later down the line, that was actually a really bad thing. If you hadn't have done that, then the dinosaurs wouldn't have come back and took over the earth. Shouldn't have helped that little girl who fell off of her tricycle get back up on her tricycle. Now the dinosaurs are taking over. How do I define 
how do I define what is good behavior? If it is gratifying to you and others, then it's definitely good behavior. Cool. <laughs> if it make if it make your parents proud, would it would it sully the good Lashley name if I did this? I probably shouldn't do it. <laughs> if you if you really value the Lashley name. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um was there more in that or should I nah. go on okay? <laughs> How do we reduce the division between people? Anonym uh, through the internet, I've found that anonymity is actually a really good way to like reduce the division between people because everyone's sort of like if you have two anonymous people, what division do you have between them? Mm-hmm. When it comes to you know communicating with each other, if you're just two an- two anonymous people. Who's to say that you couldn't communicate together and get along perfectly well? Mm-hmm. Thus having, you know, not much of a divide between the two of you. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just like a modern a modern take on that. But in reality, those people are extremely divided. They don't even know who each other are. Um, but, you know, they could get together. They could get together. Well, they might get together better than if uh, if they did if they hadn't seen each other in person, you know? Maybe they have some sort of weird hang-up or caveat that's hard programmed into them like so many people are, and they should probably fix that. But anonymity kind of protects them from their self in that sense that they can get along with someone. Yeah. The divide between people probably just need to – people need to be more accepting of other people and just be more open, which is a hard thing for people to do when trust is so not easy. But I'm a very optimistic person. I'm, I feel like it's pretty easy for me to be open, so I'm biased on that. <laughs> less less judgment and just a little bit more accept, accepting from people, you know? Yeah, definitely. Do you believe humans are evil by nature? I've been thinking about this one recently because I feel like it was a comedian was talking about <laughs> – uh, hey, could you watch my kid for me this weekend? Well, that depends. Is your kid a little shit? And he's like, well, he's a child. Oh, yeah. Kids can be little shits. Let me tell you. So there's there are some that, you know, some kids are little shits. <laughs> and uh, and some kids are sweet little angels, angels, and they were kind of inherently that way. And it wasn't necessarily the way that they were raised. They're only like, you know, four, but sometimes they can be little shits. I think all of I think all of us humans have a just a, at least a little bit of little shit in us, and maybe a little bit of us have a little bit more little shit in them. <laughs> Are we inherently evil? Not in like the pure like evil sense. Again, that gray area thing, which comes into play a lot in my theories on God and spirituality and morality. I follow I follow the gray area rule. Yeah. <laughs> What do you think humanity is heading towards in the future? You mentioned you were an optimist. <laughs> I am an optimist, but man, 20, <laughs> 2020 was not looking good for our future. <laughs> but hopefully uh, not just everyone wearing masks all the time and staying six feet away from each other and not hugging. That wasn't very fun. So let's go. Let's, now that we know that that wasn't very fun because, you know, it, we could all just been floating around in little glass bubbles of iPad screens, you know, in the future. Hopefully it's a little bit more uh, those eye floating iPad screens have a door so you can get out and actually give somebody a hug yeah <laughs> how but, uh, but that flaming lip show right that was actually really really cool um and then there's, so there's the there's the flaming lip show which is really cool everybody's in their isolated bubbles and then i saw this restaurant tried to do like an isolated bubble outdoor setup thing okay now it's the summertime so it's basically like you're sitting in a magnifying glass <laughs> you're sitting in a magnifying glass just cooking in that bubble yeah <laughs> uh I would I would really like to see uh where's the where's the future going for music? I would like to see more like VR like workstations cuz I've seen some people making like music in virtual reality. That's kind of cool. It's a gimmick though. But how cool would it be to have like a real solidly built digital audio workstation that you could touch like a Raven console, mm-hmm. but it's interactive. Yeah. You know, you can really get it get into it with 3D. That would be really Yeah. There's this game called Dreams. I don't know if you've seen it. Oh, I've seen Dreams. Yeah, yeah. 
uh, and make, it make they, a game. They like delayed the game so that they could put a freaking dot in it. Like what? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. It didn't know there's basically a dot in it. has a dot in it. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would. I would like to see that really expanded upon and really perfected. Yeah. Perfect virtual reality doll where you can grab audio files and shape them in a lot of different ways right there in real time. That'd be so cool. Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of tools now, but it's like, you got to really work for it. Definitely. And I, I don't have VR or anything. Like I, I barely, I'm not even really into that content. That's just a cool idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then kind of the upward of that is, uh, what are you optimistic about for the future? Hmm. Well, Johnny Manchild stuff is definitely picking up a lot. Um, and we just had that Play It Loud release just recently. We have a new album releasing November 5th where we have an album release show at the Tower Theater. It's going to be awesome and huge. We've got people coming from out of state, maybe even out of country. There's some people in Canada that we're talking about coming down. So that's really exciting and kind of a lot of pressure. But I'm really excited for it. We don't really have any other shows uh, coming up. So, so we've been recording this album. We didn't really play shows last year because of COVID. Yeah. We did some stream stuff like play it loud. Right. And, uh, then this year we only have the album release show planned. So I'm really optimistic about that show. Uh, and then after that, Johnny was talking about, there might be a project that he needs to go work on out in LA. Uh, that might take him, uh, out of state with our drummer in January. So that's looking like an opportunity that could maybe spin for Johnny's uh, benefit, you know, for either the bastards or just Johnny himself, like to be able to go out in, in L.A. and he's working on a pretty big music project. I don't know how much I can say about it, but it's uh, it's going to be one of the bigger things that he's worked on yeah. and we're all very excited and happy for him, so. I'm optimistic about that, although I'm going to miss him while he's in L.A. working on that project. Yeah. He might, We might st still be doing the Poor Bastard stuff while he's out there. If we can swing it, we might not. We might hiatus. We're not sure yet. We're still working it out. It's up in the air. Yeah. But I am optimistic about it still. Yeah. And, uh, and you said he's also taking Ethan with right. him. Yeah. Right, yeah. So. He's, take, he's taking our drummer Ethan with him too, who is – and he's taking uh, Isaac, who is a guitar player that lives with him and will probably end up playing with the Bastards sometime. Maybe mm -hmm. he might play for the album release show just so we have another guitarist for the heck of it. Cause we're going to have a really, really big band on the stage at the tower theater. It's going to be really cool. Um, and then, you know, while Johnny goes and does his thing, I'm going to do the lo-fi hip hop thing. Yeah. And I'm, I've been debating on my lo-fi hip hop name. Can I, can I bounce one off you? Oh, yeah, sure. I've, I play a lot of super smash brothers. And my handle has always been McNug with a, with a question mark, MC Nug. Ah. So that's that's my ID for my for my lo-fi hip hop name. You know, people could call me either MC Nug question mark or like McNug. I don't know. That's that's my lo-fi hip hop name I, idea. I like the fact that you have to say it with the upward inflection. Absolutely. Like it's, it, I'm not McNug. I'm McNug. McNug? <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Uh, <laughs> but since you have the MC at the front, you are going to have to rap at some point. Oh, God. I don't know. I mean, I guess I did rap a little bit in that funk band that I was in in New Mexico. <laughs> we did a cover of the Gorillas, but like funk. Yeah. And uh, what was it? Uh, I have also done a cover of that song. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> And happy, yeah, that one. Yeah. Finally, someone let me out of my cage. I got to do that part, which yeah, is exactly. like it was like the heaviest rap. It's awesome. I probably yeah. didn't do it justice, but I tried. <laughs> you can rap, just and I mean it's lo-fi hip hop, so it's like you got the beats already. Yeah, you can... with lo-fi hip hop style rapping, I feel like you could really just say anything sad and it works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it's like a happy kind of lo-fi hip hop song, it's just got to be like, go, you know. Da, 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 ba, ba. And that's like, then you just repeat that, and that's the whole that's the whole beat. Lo-fi hip hop is so just so beautifully simple. Yeah, you you take a sample and you iterate on it. Yep. Take a sample, keep going. flip it, drums. Does it need anything else? Maybe, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I, I like that that it's just so effortless. That's one of the reasons why I like making it. It's yeah, yeah. 
I, I don't know what the finished product is going to be whenever I decide to approach to make a song. I'm finished in like an hour or two. And I just, it's just very, like I said before, very cathartic, very relaxing. Yeah. <laughs> and if not for anyone else, at least for you. Exactly. I've made so many tracks that nobody will hear that are lo-fi hip hop because they're awful, but they were so nice for me to make, you know? Yeah. And not everything has to be for everyone anyways. <laughs> what makes you content? Mm. You can also say lo-fi hip hop. Right, lo-fi hip hop. <laughs> <laughs> finishing projects. Yeah. Fini finishing projects. And um, like I'm very content right now because in my real life day job where I'm at OU Medical, uh, I just finished wiring up an entire building. I have to go in and wire in in closets, and I wired up an entire building, and I'm done. That's so satisfying. I'm very content with it. And that's exactly how I feel when I finish a song. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it, it's almost the exact same amount of content. Mm -hmm. A year's worth of work on a building that was actually paying me thousands of dollars, right. and then I spent an hour and a half on a lo-fi hip-hop song. I feel the exact same amount of relief. Sure. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, well— Although one of them gives you money, but <laughs> well, right. <laughs> but it's, it's not the money that makes me feel content. Right, it's right. The, the completion, the finishing of that stress that was on your shoulders. Yeah, my wife. My wife makes me very content. Our wedding was a dream. We got married on the beach. I sang the song that she requested to walk down the aisle to, and I got to play it on a brand new guitar that she bought for me without me even talking to her about it. The, that guitar was just the perfect, perfect wedding present for me. And I got to play her down the aisle on it. It was a dream. It felt like a dream at the beach. Yeah. Sydney and I met through a very musical, uh, very musical way. I have, I have to tell the story about my cousin real quick <laughs> because my cousin was a pedal steel and uh, session guitar player. Okay. His name was Jason Lashley. And he did uh, a lot of stuff with uh, Oklahoma Christian. And uh, uh, there's a gentleman who's also in my family, a little bit more distant relative that I haven't met named Bob Lashley, who works to, works works there. And they like really like battened down the musical community for Oklahoma Christian. And they did this thing called Summer Singers mm -hmm. where they would go and they would do worship music all across the country. And I really, really idolized my cousin. He taught me how to play guitar. He's definitely the reason why I joined the worship band that I joined in, in uh, high school and middle school. Um, he, t he taught me every chord I know. And uh, when I was like seven, 18 or 19, I think. Gosh, I should know the age uh, I was when I, when I met my wife. <laughs> but he asked me to go to Bell Labs studio which is a really cool studio that Trent Bell runs. And it's in uh, Norman, and it is gorgeous. And I was blown away. It was my very first studio experience in a real professional studio. And uh, I was just the runner. And I was like, I was, I was definitely uh, 19 because I couldn't buy beer. And I couldn't buy uh, my – no, I was 18. I was 18 because I could buy my cousin's Copenhagen – but I couldn't buy the band beer. <laughs> uh, so they sent me with a note and I got beer from the gas station <laughs> and brought it back to the studio. Good job, Norman. Was, yeah. <laughs> he was a gas station clerk. He looked at me. Okay. <laughs> uh, so that was my first like session work. I was the runner for that, for that session. And I answered my cousin's phone. And it was a gig. He was getting called to play a worship service uh, in Midwest City as a sub for some for some church gig. He was just going to go play electric guitar. And I was like, hey, you're being offered a gig. He's like, you take the gig. I was like, uh, are you sure? You should talk to them. He's like, dude, just call it, work it out. I'm going to go back in the session. Okay. I took his phone. I took the gig. And that's where I met my wife, was at that gig. So because I said yes to that session, because I said – because I happened to answer his phone and because he just was not feeling it, you can take it, I got to meet my wife. Yeah. I saw her there in the audience. She saw me. We totally locked eyes because we had seen each other right before that, like the day before at Buffalo Wild Wings. I was sitting down. She was standing up. She walked in, and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> She's so hot. 
<laughs> and she looked at me and was like, oh, my God, he is staring at me. <laughs> and uh, and then we saw each other again, and we stared at each other again while, while I was on stage and she was in the audience. You and got so to be the hot one that time. That time I was the hot one, and she was staring at me. <laughs> So we, uh, but it was allowed because you're on stage. <laughs> so, so afterward, I definitely went up and initiated contact, and yeah. it was not long after that that I serenaded her on acoustic guitar, and it was we. It, I totally sealed the deal there. That's really why we play guitar <laughs> is to seal the deal. <laughs> um, three more questions for you. When will you be satisfied? Oh, man. I'll be satisfied when I'm old, still playing guitar, and still singing and still writing little songs, because that's when I know that I made the right choice. That's how I know, yes, this was the career path I should have chosen. This was what I was meant to do all along, because I can do this all the way until I'm no longer doing anything. Yeah. That's how I know I'll, That's how I know I made it. <laughs> Doesn't, it's, not about, it's not about getting big. It's not about it really even like being heard, although that's extremely nice. And it's it's awful to like make music and have it just make stuff and just have it sit there for for you or for no one. Uh, but it for me, it really is just about doing something that I can continue doing and that I enjoy and love. Yeah. And if I can spin that into something that makes me money or something that benefits someone else, then great. But that's not that's not the goal. I'm here to just do it. Yeah. Beautiful. What advice do you have for people in general? It can be as big or little as you want. <laughs> do it. Go out and do it. Don't let your dreams be dreams. But but really, it is it is to just find whatever motivates you to complete your task and don't stray from that. I'm a very ADHD person. I get distracted. Uh, find what allows you to hyper-focus in a way that benefits you, in a way that benefits you as a musician, in a way that benefits you as a person, whatever makes you feel like you're doing better for yourself. Maybe to, to take from Play It Loud, uh, there, there's a little voice inside your head, right? I loved this line. There's a little voice inside everyone, and that voice is either... Uh, speaking truths of healing you or hurting you. And it's whether or not we decide to listen to that voice, whether or not we decide to uh, be motivated by that voice, whether or not we decide to, you know, listen to it, write it down, ignore it. Uh, I, ch I say choose to be motivated, made motivated by it or listen to it and choose a path of healing or let it motivate you to spin that into something creative. Spin it into something creative. Yeah, definitely. Lastly, potentially, most importantly, cake or pie? Oh, my wife is a, is a baker. Um, I'm going to go with pie. I like, a, I like a very specific kind of pie, though, because my wife makes it, and it's very, very good. And it's, it's basically butter pie. It's called ch chess pie. Have you heard of chess pie before? It's something that my grandmother started doing for Thanksgiving in like 2010, and I just I can't get enough of it. It's basically, like I said, just like a really buttery, flaky pie with just kind of like – I wouldn't say it's like a strudely filling. It's like a – I don't know. It has an interesting generic pie texture, <laughs> and then you put real whipped cream on top of it, and it's just so sweet and buttery and melts in your mouth. Chess pie, definitely my favorite. We'll have to look it up. And I mean, people have described a lot of pies on here, and that that sounds pretty interesting. It's very simple, and it's it's hard. It's it's kind of easy to mess up, but totally worth it. Cool, Chris. Thank you so much for doing this with me. Where can we find you in your things? Thank you, Santiago. Thank you for having me. Um, you can find Johnny Manchild and the Poor Bastards at www.manchild.band. And of course, on Facebook, Johnny has a very active Twitter as well. Uh, we have a Johnny Manchild and the Poor Bastard Discord, which is actually really, really active. Are you a part of it? I'm not. I should I'll, join it. I will send you an invite to that. Maybe okay. we maybe we can like post an invite link 
to, yeah. the, to the Discord. Sure, yeah. I um, I have a BitDef Discord, which is like oh, cool. 15 people, but like... <laughs> we'll, we'll swap Discords. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so www.manchild.ban. We have a very active Discord. You can't really find my lo-fi hip-hop stuff yet, although I do have a Chris Lashley SoundCloud that's, that's not... Um, it's really just kind of like those lo-fi hip-hop experiments I was talking about earlier. Not like... Uh, super defined tracks but it will be soon and i will be changing the soundcloud name from chris lashley to mcnug <laughs> so mcnug will be advertised and will be produced very soon yeah there's also the stuff on your instagram which is like yeah that's what that's what mcnug will be yes my my instagram chris.lashley3 uh has has the mcnug beats on it right now those are definitely the best examples of the lo-fi hip-hop stuff i've been producing lately yeah and some cool video stuff with it too. Yeah, it little snippets of um, the bastards shooting B-roll music video stuff, and then I put a little beat over it. Or uh, there's a lot of water features and stuff around the OU Medical Campus, and I get bored at my job walking sometimes six miles a day, and so I'll stop and shoot a little video and put it in slow motion, and then make a beat. Yeah, it kind of makes me think of like the Vietnam flashbacks meme. <laughs> Sorry to say that while you were drinking water. Uh, <laughs> but it's just like the, the overlay of like... <laughs> I'm going to do that on the next beat now. It's going to be just like a, na- a nice translucent, you know, the gray background thing that I've been doing. And then it's just going to be my face like a thousand yards staring right into your soul. Beautiful. Like phase that face in and then stare into you. <laughs> Once again, thank you so much for joining us with me. I'm Santiago Ramones. I'm Chris Lashley. You can find everything that I do on my website, SantiagoRamones.com. I make music and produce audio. I have an EP, a short album, that is streaming everywhere right now. It's called Soundbites. The music you're hearing right now is from Soundbites. Listen to it on Spotify, Apple Music, and anywhere else you stream music, or buy it on Bandcamp, because a single purchase is the monetary equivalent of streaming it all day, every day, for a year. I'm also working on another album, so if you'd like to hear that at some point, you can buy my music, or you can support me on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Santiago Ramones. Follow me on Instagram to stay up to date with all the stuff that I'm doing, both at bit.depth and at Santiago Ramones Music. There's also a Discord server in which we discuss deep topics from the podcast, but it's also a community of beautiful human beings. Go to SantiagoRamones.com slash Discord to join. If you like the podcast, leave comments on social media, leave reviews by saying how much you like the podcast, and tell your friends about it. I really couldn't be doing this without you, and I am so very grateful to continue doing BitDepth for this long. Thank you so much for listening to and supporting BitDepth. I always end the podcast with my three things. They shape my life philosophy. Love never fails. It's going to be okay. I might be wrong. <laughs>